You got this, Dr. Bayo. Hey, Kate, do you want to start this? Sure, let's start. Okay. So I guess we're starting. Cool. Are we recording now? Yeah. I I don't know if any of us are ever really prepared. We just kind of this is what I this is what I've learned is that I think everybody spends a little bit time, little too much time asking themselves, are they preparing, and then beginning to prepare, and then never actually doing it. Hey, did you get something? I gave them to you. I gave them back to you. See, this is how you lose keys. They're not in my pockets. You can check my coat. I think that's a fantastic start to a podcast. I think so too. Yeah, someone asking for keys. Yeah. Um, the best way to to go forward is to get interrupted a lot. But there is the, the so people spend so much time trying to do something, preparing to do something, but never actually do it. And if you listen to all like the the people that have done it, they're not going to give you like the best tips and tricks on how to have the best thing. But better, they're pretty much just going to say, "Go do it." Yeah. The best way to do it is to do it. No, yeah, I mean. We, you and I have talked about Stephen King before, and as you know, I'm a big, at least, you know, of cinema generally, a uh, Stephen King fan. Um, and that's one of his big things is he's just like, just write right. something. So anything. Yeah, right. No, I mean, you're absolutely right, because he has a, okay, well, first off, hey, everybody, welcome back to Ron and Kate. <laughs> yep. It's uh, been you may have years? heard us on a one time we did a, a video on YouTube called Obscura and then maybe like seven episodes of The Lasso of Truth. The Lasso of Truth, yeah. I think we should go back to Obscura. Like, it's in Obscura. My re- First off, it's ours. We can definitely go back to yeah, it. Yeah, we can, but. <laughs> so this is going to be, this all came about as part of, at least for me, a New Year's resolution to make stuff. And I want to make stuff with like people that I like. So a person I like is Kate. Oh, thank you. I like you too. Oh, thank you very much. It means a lot to me. And so we're just going to I don't know, converse, talk about things that we've seen or like or learned. And uh, go well, from there. I guess we can say like why we've had a hiatus, which is mostly my fault. I uh I moved to England. Uh, you moved to England for two years, and I'm back. And now you are like official. Like, are you a doctor yet, or because you, you were away long enough? No, I turned in my uh, dissertation, um, but that's not all that stuff. Fingers crossed, and all that. That's one of the things that I'm not going to miss from being in school is I don't know, writing another paper. I say I don't want to write another paper as if I don't want to do like more writing jobs. That's so dumb. Like I'm, I'm at, uh, you hired a writer, and they said, "Hey, what do you? Why would you? Why would you want to have this job?" And you're like, "I don't know. I kind of want to get done with writing reports." And they're like, "Okay, thank you very much. We kind of need somebody that will write reports." I I did do I didn't do a podcast while I was gone or anything like that, but I did do a a gig where I was I did some voice acting. It was actually ended up being live performance, so I was like on a little you thing know, in front of people. That was really weird. I remember you telling me that, first of all, how long were you gone? Two years? Two years, yeah. Two years is such a long time to be out. Like, imagine if you left your house to go to work one day and you only in, you got back two years later. 
how much time that would be. It's it's like over seven hundred days. It is it is kind of weird when you um and if anybody listening is kind of moved abroad, they probably understand this sort of um it's like you you go away and like especially when you've built up a life, you know, you have friends, you have family, the whole thing. And you you've built a life and then you just leave and you have all of these like experiences with all these other people and at this place that's you know, a lot of times completely different. I only went to England, which, you know, at least if I'm speaking right. you know, there's some cultural overlap stuff, but um and then you come back but this thing the th- the life that you had before you left has progressed, you know, two years and things are ever so slightly different and yeah, yeah. it's really strange. No, it's, I, I imagine it's kinda like hopping in a time machine, so like the you you leave and it's essentially like everything's gonna be very essential today. <laughs> but you leave here and you go move there and it's kinda like being a new kid. It's like moving for school and so you're now the new kid at school but it's more than that you like you've actually picked up and moved your life and because they do speak english it is it is england you are generally familiar with the broad strokes of things you might not know everything right i mean i have watched pride and prejudice so exactly. you know we, we've all uh, <laughs> sat in on like an episode of down that so, you know we get it we're londoners whatever but but i was surprised still legitimately about how much i didn't know like what was the What's the thing that kind of sticks with you that, you know, you realize that I I don't know this country as well as I I did? I mean, I I didn't I didn't really understand how great public transit is until I had access to a fairly competent. I mean, the British complain about, you know, their train system all the time, but right. like it was amazing because I hate driving. And I feel I feel like driving is the biggest waste of time in the world. Um, that I could just get on a train and I could read, I could work, I could you know do any number of productive things. And yeah, it was th- that was pretty amazing. Like I didn't Cause, truly cause, understand. Like you like a train, right? Yeah, I love trains. Yeah. So I mean, because I I would expect people that live in wherever they are to absolutely roast their local yeah. things but I'm, if I you mean, like because like, you know we're here in tulsa hi how are you that you go to to london and there's just kind of a i say london you go to england yeah england where were you exactly um so i was in sort of like a more rural area of england which was in west sussex uh, there's this uh, place called west dean college shout out um and it so it was founded by this um, sort of British aristocrat named Edward James, who, by the way, uh, we'll have to devote another episode of this podcast completely to him because dude was crazy. He hung out with Salvador Dali, like Magritte, like all of the surreal. He was totally down. He moved to Mexico at one point and built like this surrealist wonderland out in the middle of the jungle and like basically supported this village like like he paid them to build his thing and so he's he's like called saint and wardrow down there like in like an island because it is first off whenever anybody from europe goes to an island it, like it's pretty iffy real quick yeah did he go to one of those 
real iffy real quick islands or is this kind of like it was an island island. i i can't remember exactly where it was in mexico oh okay because i didn't research that part of this but you can google it and find it it's okay i feel like so this is this is the second podcast that i'm on today and the third one that are one of three that i'm going to do today and all three of them have the the through line of don't do any research why would you how would, and if, if I'm not going to do it, I wouldn't expect you to do it. Well, another, another really interesting thing, and you're right, it does get really iffy when you have, like, you know, really rich people going over, you know, other places and basically like, okay, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to pay you all this money to build up my dream sort of thing. Um, it does get kind of weird. And, uh, but he was quite, um, how do I put this? He was very interesting as far as the surrealist movement in some cases like exists because of him um because he was such a so influential influential blah 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 because i I always uh, thought the the surrealist movement was was spearheaded by dolly as opposed to who your guy is from west end shout outs but you know money's got to come from somewhere (laughs) so yeah um, he actually, there was this uh, show in New York, and the name of it escaped me because I do my research, but it was um, sort of like the Surrealist Wonder, like Wonderland, I can't remember. It was like oh. almost like a theme park, and you would walk through all these different rooms, which were Surrealist enclosures, which is very similar, actually. Mixtape down in Tulsa, not Tulsa, Oklahoma City. What's, mi- what's Mixtape? Mixtape is this sort of artist's... Um, collaborative consortium i guess it's a bunch of artists come in and like like a like an artist collective yeah okay and they basically have a warehouse in oklahoma city and they create these environments that you can touch and like interact with and there's lots of lights and you know music and all sorts of cool stuff um so you should if you're in oklahoma city you should visit it because it's really amazing um, our mutual friend RJ went to it and didn't like it because he couldn't uh, interact with it the way he wanted to. Uh, yeah, RJ's <laughs> Which, a, a real smart dude, but he's also a pleb. And, I mean, I think that's fine. I, I love that dude to death. I like how I made it sound like way more like kind of when I said he couldn't interact with it the way he wanted to. Like, I feel like that's implying something. First off, <laughs> if, if, anybody, if anybody goes to an, an, an art exhibit and, you know, we're, we're trending towards modern art. And the the exhibit says, "Hey, no, feel free to interact with with everything." I think that a lot of the people that create that stuff use the word "interact" in the same way that they, that they mean "engage." And so when they say, "You know, interact with it," like take selfies with it, go up and lean on it, uh, maybe even um, sometimes try to pick it up. Sometimes, you know, if somebody goes to a place and says. Uh, they said interactive with everything, and I tried to move Exhibit A from Hall One to Hall C, uh, or and they said that was frowned upon. I I kind of might think that that's on a person visiting. <laughs> but on the flip side, nobody said that. Yeah, no one said you couldn't. Yeah, yeah. It's it's also I just remembered it's mixtape is their current art like sort of exhibit that they have going on. The current theme, the name of the consortium is. Um, atlas atlas obscura is hey obscura. <laughs> yeah that was, obscura. Our that was our no that was oh, our youtube channel idea. who knows 
Um, so anyway, uh, Dolly and Edward James, they developed this crazy, like, surrealist um, sort of show in New York. And the time they had, like, you know, naked women, like, performing as mermaids and all sorts of this other crazy stuff. So no one was really ready for it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I almost so. feel like nobody in the past was willing to. Which is which, which is, is really strange. Which is weird because like <laughs> half of all human history is naked women, or like forty forty eight and a half percent of all of all human history is naked women, and uh, it's awfully specific. This is one thing I did do my research on. Feel free to check up on. But the um, idea that somebody would put out a surrealist art exhibit that for the time I would consider modern art. And people were like, what is that? A naked person? How dare you? How dare you? How the, dare you? The gall. <sighs> Be obscene in public. We have standards. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. was also kind of interesting in that he was, I think, um, I'm not sure if he was publicly necessarily, but he was um, bisexual. Um, uh, so he married. Shut up. Yeah, shout out to the bi's. You exist. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Uh, so he married this ballerina named Tilly, Tilly um, Nash, I think was her last name, who thought that he was gay and not bi. And he was apparently quite smitten with her and did kind of expect for them to do things after they got married. But she was thinking that this she was just going to be you know like a beard and <laughs> yeah it caused some severe problems in no, his life I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, of, yes of course it did but can you can you imagine entering into a marriage that you're gonna like you're gonna be with somebody right you're gonna be with somebody we, we've decided to to get hitched mm-hmm. but one person is thinking that this is my my one true love or at the very least that this person likes me me and like that you could be intimate and the other person's like cool i'm this person's cover yeah and uh i'm here because they're famous and i want i want other things in life so also i do well, first off you don't get that's not true but uh, let's i'm let's be i mean let's let's say let's be positive with it and then she liked him yeah well she certainly liked him supporting her uh ballerina career uh, of course but, but, <laughs> too. But, but more so like she liked this person just didn't think that that this person liked them like that yeah. well, middle school but that's tough but i can't even think of even getting into that mindset enter into this particular relationship with the sole intention of just being a beard uh-huh. which is which is a term i don't really like because it's kind of thrown willy-nilly at people undeserving targets but if that's what she did that's wild and it kind of it was his interest in ballerinas um he founded this ballet company and like sponsored all these really cool surrealist ballets which kind of had and Dali and Magritte um as well so yeah so in a way um he had his own kind of man and pixie dream girl that it didn't turn out <laughs> well hey <laughs> You, if you find yourself having a manic pixie dream girl, um, she's not she's not for you. <laughs> like if you if you come out there and it's like, oh no, this is a girl that's not like all the other girls. 
and only kind of shows me attention, but because she's kind of like an exuberant soul, um, you might find yourself, like, pinch yourself. You might be under, like, a morphine drip. Manic pixie dream people don't really exist. Or, no. <laughs> or they're never going to be your boy and or girlfriend. What's your favorite trope? My favorite trope? There's a lot of tropes out there, and it's hard to favorite. Right. Can I turn it back around on you first before I answer and hear your favorite trope? Mm-hmm. Or do I have to answer since you asked me first? No. All right. So I will. This is the one that's on the on top of my on, on the top of my head. I think. Okay, I'll tell you what. I'll go ahead and start off with not maybe my favorite trope, but the trope that I notice the most that I am happy whenever it is subverted so um i'm not on tvtropes.com so i can't give you the i won't curse you with uh an endless rabbit hole i was about to say well n- neither of us can go to for 16 night. hours yes, exactly. we'll never get anything done but it is whenever um, somebody asks a, before another aside is that so the tv show watchman just came out so that you can date this podcast whenever it <laughs> it happens and so it just closed out its first season that's pretty good i love it in the show it does a thing that makes other shows that you thought you liked much worse in mm-hmm. that when a character or when characters are engaged in dialogue in a scene and a question is asked it is answered inside of the scene so somebody is uh asked why did you even come back here we were so much better without you and then in a worse TV show, the camera would cut back to the person that w- that received the question. They'll just kind of stare or walk out of the scene. Or, or it's a cliffhanger. Or it'll cut to commercial, yeah. right? In, in Watchmen, somebody will ask a question or, you know, open up an argument. And the argument is either advanced or closed. So it's like, how could you do this? I don't understand. Uh, it's It makes no sense. And the other person will go, this is how it makes sense. Here, I will try to make you understand. You know, this is my motivations for my actions. Any more questions? And it's so refreshing. Because <laughs> I, I, what was I watching? I was watching, uh, have you seen the show Zoo? Um, No, I've heard of it. That's the one where the apocalypse has kind of started, right? And animals are... Yes, no. Trying to kill humans, which honestly they probably should. It's (laughs) it's an awful show. I'm not so on my Netflix. I didn't realize that it wasn't like an actual Netflix original until I I looked looked at the detail. Network TV and you know I'm gonna I'm gonna trash network TV. It's not very good, but the show is full of those type of moments where somebody would say, "How did you find out this information? I thought you were with us. It turns out you're against us." And it'll cut to commercial and do that constantly. And like I know we're not talking about a good like a good show versus a not good show, because zoo is not very good. But the point still stands that we you know we consider it to be good. Go off into another scene. Uh, so yes, and that and that very long answer. I'm sorry I took so no, much of your fine. time. Thank I you. didn't even really answer yet, so you're ahead of me. <laughs> so my my favorite trope is a question asked on screen answered in full on screen in that scene well that that is what you just described and i i hate it as well whenever you have the whole question thing and then there's like 
you know, the like crazy, you know, tension music. And then in the very next scene, it's like nothing. Right. Oh. And it, it's just totally false, you know, tension created for no apparent reason. Right. That doesn't further along your story besides, I don't know, I would like to be in some meetings with people and be like, why did you do this? Like, what, what was the motivation behind you and totally creating this false emotional response or trying to at the very least i i think it's kind of like whenever so like we you know we're working on either some fan fiction or some original screenplays or whatever and i think i think i think the short answer is that writing stuff is hard and that tv is hard yeah and as much as we as much as we're like it's so easy just do these and yeah it might actually be uh, just just a little bit and we and we keep running into like this the same thing that we don't like as opposed a varied amount like here's the thing if that's the that's that's like if if that's the main thing that I complain about then apparently I guess you're doing a whole bunch of other stuff correct because mm-hmm. if I'm complaining about a seven out of ten shot like a four out of ten show I guess I'm doing pretty good I guess I'm doing pretty good in the world I I guess with my favorite the the concept of my favorite trope is. I kind of have to think about, like, what exactly is a trope? Like, what is a trope? What is a trope? Yeah. Because um, in some ways, I would argue things like bottle episodes, um, jumping the shark. Are those tropes? Or are they just, you know, devices where, where like, you have things, the one true pairing or um, some other, like, fan-created ones. Like, what is it? Hoye? Is that a Korean drama thing? No, it is not. It's um, erotic. Uh, of course. Uh, I ran into it when I, when I fell down a rabbit hole, like so reading you're, about. So you're just reading like BL manga all, all day. Um, yeah, it's cool. Um, I I would admit to it, and you know I would. Uh, no, it was. I was reading about because I I'm this kind of nerd. I really like to read about like trends and fan culture fan fiction fan art you you know this yeah no we're we're the the, same person in this regard (laughs) the people listening to this don't know this necessarily but i really love reading about different trends in the way that fans are interacting with their particular media or medias of choice medias or genres the Uh, the things that they like i mean yes it's definitely because at least when because we're talking about fans of like cosplay fan fiction and just general tweets and message boards and whatever chan culture yeah and so you know i love like pretty much everything about that and i found find it utterly fascinating so and i think the hoye thing kind of sprang out of and some but someone is going to comment and tell me how wrong i am but remind me again what's hoye again hoye is um basically like homoerotic sort of nod to the fans but not going the whole way in the show. So almost like, I mean, this is, I'm, I'm going to let you keep, keep going. So as an example, I kind of, I, I may have mentioned Supernatural a little bit because that's the first time I ever kind of heard about it is um, in the context of... Mm, let me get that brothership. Oh, <laughs> well, some people, yeah. But um, I think it's mainly in terms of uh, the characters Castiel and Dean. Um, and people, they kept getting people at the beginning pointing out, oh, well, 
angels don't technically have a gender they're just inhabiting these hosts and you're framing this whole relationship as if it's you know kind of no that I, a I, romantic I, one i really like that and then but then the show's creator's like no they're not you know ever going to be together but we're going to keep putting in all these situations almost as a nod to the you know like acknowledge and they had an entire episode that was about like these characters had written fan fiction about within the show it was it was really strange and they'd written this play and yeah well it, okay so i mean it comes down it sounds almost kind of like fan or kind of sounds like homoerotic f- fan service of which fan service i'm not the hugest fan of a lot of people would i as you describe it especially within that example it almost sounds kind of like queer baiting yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe I have I gotten my things confused, like the queer baiting versus the. Oh no! It, uh, so since we're the same person and we share mm-hmm. the same mind and we go to the same websites, um, our our internet histories are the same. Um, and shame on you for looking at the things that you do. That queer baiting is is a is a concept that I really am in. So I don't want to say I like listening to people be angry about queer baiting because I mean generally if somebody's talking bad about it, they 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 were kind of wronged as a as an audience member uh, or made light of due to their sexuality or gender and I you know I don't I don't want people to feel bad about stuff but that is that's the thing that I love drilling down into because there's a lot of shows that engage in kind of that 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 what if what you if what mm-hmm. you were talking about is what it is uh oh yay right so i i actually just fact checked because i wanted to make sure that i was talking i am talking about like the homoerotic subtext that exists in the shows but queer baiting is like people is them specifically like driving it home i guess I, it seems to be suddenly different according to the internet there's Suddenly. this guy named Stephen Moffat. I mean, you know who Stephen Moffat is. Oh right? yeah, no, yeah. So Stephen Moffat does does stuff like this all the all the time. Yeah. Where he'll he'll just have these he'll have a couple of characters, a couple of guys, a couple of ladies, a couple of whatever that will engage in like this really knowing banter mm-hmm. or interactions where it's like, oh, this is absolutely going to be a couple down the road. Yeah. Or there's there's a lot of sexual tension here. A lot of romantic tension here, and this is going to be something, right? If it's not something now, it's something Maybe that we can definitely later, do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then Stephen Moffat will show up at Comic Con and Hall H and be like, "Yeah, no, we're just trying to test the water, seeing how you feel. You know, we see the things that you see, and we're just trying to give you a little taste, but it's never going to be. But it's real. never going to happen. Yeah. Right. I think you're talking about like mostly about Sherlock, right? Like kind of the stuff uh, around. Well, there's also. Um, Doctor Who. Uh, oh yeah, that's true. That's and, true. And so there's, I mean, he's Stephen Moffat's not great, y'all. He's kind of he, strange. He's made some cool stuff, but yeah. If you if you listen to him talk about the stuff that he's making, if it's not like the nuts and bolts of this is the first act, this is the third act, and this is how the A plot interacts with the C plot, he says some he says some real off the wall stuff. I'm not I'm not the hugest fan. Um, so Hoye slash uh, queer baiting is uh, not my favorite trope. Uh, probably my favorite trope 
there's this term called final girl. Have you ever heard of that? No, Kate, no one in the world has ever. I'm sorry. Yeah. No. Final, so final, final girl is the last girl left at like a horror movie, right? Yeah, and, and it kind of overlaps with the action girl trope a little bit. I say it depends on what what you're watching. Yeah, I watched the movie Ready or Not, mm-hmm. and so the final girl and the action girl are mixed together. Same thing with the. Uh, it's not Jeremy Sonier. It might be Jeremy Sonier. He did Green Room, but uh, which is also pretty good. But he, you're next. Action girl, final girl, kind of squashed together. I guess aliens would count, or eight not aliens, alien would count, right? Oh no, and I'm glad that you brought that up because that's Ripley is like one of my favorite um, characters in any movie of all time, and I'm a huge alien. Aliens, I get a little bit eh on the third Aliens movie, <laughs> but um, I really love, uh, like just Ripley as a character and always have. Um, and made a huge impact on me as a young person. Uh, <laughs> and so for me, like those sort of, I don't know, the final girl always made a strong impact on me kind of mentally. Like when I was right watching um, Friday the 13th for the first time and uh, Hellraiser and all of those other movies, like, I don't know. Like, so I'm an older millennial dude and also a black man in America. The final girl is. We're all art professionals, right? Hey, hey, guys, we're 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 all art <laughs> we're all art professionals. Right? We're, yeah, we're, we're all taking we've all taken junior level art history, right? <laughs> art appreciation, right? And that I have most of my viewing experience of like most media is 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 a pretty oppositional gaze, and well, there's probably a little bit of male gaze in there, of course, but that. Whenever I watch a a movie, and in this case, like a horror movie or like a you know an intense thriller where there is a final, mm-hmm. is that I'm I'm not I'm not the final girl, and I'm also not the killer. Like I'm just a person that's watching it happen. So I guess what is it like to like put yourself in the position of or like to to like you you say you found it empowering. How did you find it? Well, specifically with uh, Ripley, um, because if it, I don't know if I should say spoilers for Alien, but everyone should go spoilers watch Alien. Spoilers for Alien. There are Spo- spoilers skip ahead for Alien until the end of the podcast, where, we'll, <laughs> where we won't spoil Alien. She, she's just, and for the time especially, I find her to be such an amazing character in that she, she's the person who the entire time was generally speaking, hey, maybe we shouldn't bring this guy on here that's been infected because we have quarantine procedures. And she just gets overruled. (laughs) And of course, everyone else dies but her. Which... So nobody listened to the woman even when she was right. Trash. (laughs) But uh, but also there was, you know, there was another woman on... Woman, women... Another women, another yeah, woman on the crew. There's, many, there's, there's many other women's on board. <laughs> One other, uh, but yeah, it it was just such a, I don't, it was a great sort of journey in that like she's gonna survive and she survives and she survives with her cat, and <laughs> you know, it's 
it's just an interesting sort of thing. Although I do, I guess my one criticism of the final girl is she's usually like the quote unquote virgin character. Like she's the nice one, quote unquote. And Ripley's not so much that, but she is the person who was right the entire time and everyone else is punished so, for so, so like here's the here's a cool foot that like that's so all right so that's so fun because uh, who is it John Carpenter is generally credit accredited uh, as like creating creating the trope of the final girl being yeah a version because and because yep. see a version a version <laughs> a version but being a version and because that she is not sinned against the plot yeah that, so you know in any way that she is allowed to get to the final screen. And Jonathan Carper, uh, that's right, I call him Jonathan. <laughs> John Carpenter yeah. basically uh, said it many times, like, I was never even thinking that at all. It yeah. just kind of happened. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny that that's what other people that were in the film picked up on. And that is not what's character, like, no, you have to be pure to make it through a horror movie. But, but it all trope in a way. Like, no, even going back to Cinderella, like, just using that as an example, Cinderella is the one who does everything, or, or beauty, like, she does everything nice. She tries to help, and she's, like, the person who steadfastly is kind of just like, I'm nice, and I'm going to do this, and so she's rewarded. And it's kind of the same thing with Beauty and the Beast, like, traditionally speaking. So, I mean, we've always kind of had that sort of you know oh if you're nice and you don't do this and you know you're going to have some reward so like i i get it because i mean hey guys i'm going to college (laughs) i took this course uh called horror films and it was like a freshman level let's teach let's teach kids how to write like well i it took um horror in america by the professor's name was John Woolley. I don't know if you've heard of him. He wrote... I don't think we had the same professor on that. Oh, that he wrote, like, Wes Craven's autobiography and oh, a whole cool. bunch of other... Not autobiography, biography and such other weird word stuff. Anyway, continue. Sorry. <laughs> I thought maybe we had the same class. <laughs> we didn't. Uh, and that's fine. I, I took the long way around. I walked across the stage earlier last year, so, you know, it only took me... Oh, that's right. You don't only. Well, I guess the only people that would be listening to this would be the people that you know like us for us. Um, and if you don't like us for us, um, welcome. I'm glad that you made it to this part of the internet. Uh, in in horror films, the what I what I what I learned there, or what I took away from it is that horror films happen because the people that are part of the plot have transgressed in in a way that is now punishable by death. Not in a way that is always punishable by death. Just now, it's punishable by death or uh, disfigurement. Or and I, I think with with stuff like that, so you have your your final girl makes it to the end because she just simply has not transgressed or has been able to find some sort of redemption in between moment that all of these teens go into the woods and uh, being the last one left. Or like she was that this final girl is allowed to live because she has done the work to mm-hmm. become a better person. Some so basically to become a better person is to defeat one's demon demons and then in the most horror movies, films, cinema, cinema. case, películas, is that 
you to rejuvenate demon is to defeat the the antagonist or the the boss character, which is a representative, some sort of societal ill mm-hmm. um, incarnate. You know what movie that's really subverted in is uh, Drag Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell. I've heard about it. I haven't watched it yet. You've, do you care if I no feel the free. spoilers? So uh, spoilers for Drag Me to Hell. It's a uh, kind of. Oh, it's about this one woman who gets literally cursed by a gypsy because she, it, it it's like, it's the worst way too. She's pressured by her boss to not approve this gypsy's loan <laughs> or it's something like that. Yeesh, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird. Who is so, that? That gypsy lady? Yeah. Don't approve her. Don't, like, it's, it's something like, bureau, like bureaucratic paperwork level. So, you know, just just terrible. Right. So this gypsy curses her with a button. I'm making it sound more... It's actually a really good I mean, film. You should go watch it. I was about to say, to be fair, that's the opening. Like, that's the that's the thing that is the yeah. movie. So she gets cursed. Like, her soul is literally cursed to go to hell. And so she does all of these things. I'm not going to tell you, but, you know, it gets exceedingly more terrible. And you think that she... She's done all of it, and she's done all of it right, and it's just like pure chance. Then she doesn't, and she literally gets dragged to hell at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah. no, that I mean, that's I think that's I think to me that is the as far as like subversions go, because it's hard to have like because if you were to say that there's a subversion in like your because first because we're basically talking about slashers and like monster yeah. movies, yeah, right? monster movies for and somebody slashers. to get got by the monster is you know. Movie's over, roll credits, right? There's not, there's not much there, but as opposed to a movie being about a person. That came out 11 years ago, by the way. Dragon 2009. Can I tell you? So today, um, I was I was looking for... I got a late start in the day. I was supposed to be doing all sorts of reading <laughs> and research for another show that I was going to be on. I did none of it because I lost my I lost my memory card to my cameras, which were I was going to do a multi-cam setup. And... Uh, I even forgot why I started telling the story. What what happened? <laughs> what did what did, why did I interrupt you? I know I interrupted you with being like, "Oh, this came out eleven years ago." Oh, you know, that's I what inter- it is. I interrupted no, there we you go. eleven years ago. Yeah. So, um, anyway, I find the memory cards. They were exactly where they were supposed to be in my camera bag for my cameras. But the whole time that I'm listening to, or the all the whole time I'm looking for my memory cards, I'm listening to uh, a mixtape. From uh, OG Ron C, I believe, of Swisher House, which is a Houston-based record label. And on the, I was listening to D'Angelo's How Does It Feel, you know. How does it feel? It's a really, it's a really good song. Mm-hmm. Put you in the mood. It's great. Uh, and so during a long uh, guitar, I just swear I'm dumb. Uh, O.G. Ron he's like talking over he's going like yeah Swish Our House for Life uh, make sure you buy the CD that has the artwork on the front of it otherwise bootleg and you won't get all the good stuff like he's basically selling his mixtape during yeah, I... mixtape help us make it all the way into the year 2000 <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, in in the like, and I'm just jamming with it because basically I'm listening to this mixtape of songs from the 
from the 90s that was made in 2000. I'm like, oh, no, that was 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. I And, and it just, I, 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 I turned to dust in that moment. Like, I, I, I the Thanos snapped and I, you know, Mr. Stark, I don't feel so good. And I, I w- was one with the wind. But, yeah, no, that's, that's, there's so much stuff that's happening that's so long ago. Yeah. Ugh. I was looking at pictures. I have a picture that I am. Uh, I'm going to put on a shirt of my mom. She was just looking really young in a, a like she took. A, she's been in like college administration most of her adult life, and she's taking like this photo op for I think it was Mississippi State. Don't quote me. I'm sure nobody's going to fact check that. But you know, she just looks real fresh faced and. I'm now at least six to, so I'm going to pause real quick. There's a cat that is just absolutely wrecking Kate right now. You you can't see it. Uh, I don't know. But there's this gold. Uh, His name's Butterscotch. Butterscotch <laughs> is one ripping up an office chair and treating Kate, the back of Kate's head as a scratch this, post. This is my final girl moment is against this cat <laughs> you you must defeat your demons I, yeah. you're definitely gonna have to find a way to do that good luck thanks i appreciate that anyway so as i'm as i'm scanning this photo and doing some editing to it and i'm just looking at my mom's face like it's and it's my mom's face and mm-hmm. i grew up with it but she's like 25 yeah and i'm now eight to nine years older than she was in this picture and i'm like ah it made me truly think about my life the the big one for me was in that this year sorry this last year i am as old as my mom was when she had me yeah <laughs> i've i've zoomed past that point and now i'm i'm almost as old as my parents when they had my little sister yeah it's so it's strange that whole thing <laughs> on that note, I w- I kind of want to digress back to the action girl thing. Okay. Um, yeah, digress away. Digress. I want to digress. Go back. Um, yeah, drag me to the hills. Verded that. Let me find it. But it was it was almost eleven years ago now. <laughs> I I watched another because you know I watch horror movies pretty much on nonstop. Yeah, that's kind of like, like Pringles. You can't just watch. Uh, horror movie. movie. I watched a horror movie called Hush. Have you heard of that? Is that the one where, where like the, this deaf woman lives in the woods? It's a deaf woman who lives alone in the woods. I am freaked out just by the synopsis of it. Well, I want to watch it, but it just it absolutely it gets me in my marrow. So no no spoilers for this one, but it's a it, it's a movie about a an American writer who she is deaf and deaf just like we said and a serial killer shows up to murder her. So somehow I put that movie on mute. Yeah. And I thought that it was a stylistic decision on the part of the filmmakers (laughs) that there was going to be no sound throughout this entire movie. And I was like, this is amazing. I've never watched any, like, like I said, somehow my TV was on mute. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how it was just, serendipitous i guess i don't know so i watched oh, that's amazing i watched the entire movie until like pretty much the very end 
with it on mute. <laughs> And That's I actually, absolutely beautiful. And once I, once I realized it, I changed it. I was like, oh, this is... <laughs> and I changed it back to mute because, you know, I didn't want to ruin the experience that had already happened. So, just... Uh, well, no, that's... Yeah. that's like, I have to... Like, so you make this movie called Hush. Yeah. And it's about Stalker. Great <laughs> Stalked by the Stalker, Stalked yeah. Stalker. Anyway, so completely within the film's rights you know as part of like the what it's about to make the movie have zero sound yeah and that'd be so scary because you know you're no longer you no longer have me you're now in the because you're not necessarily the character but you are in the character's headspace which Mm -hmm. is i'm living my life and there is no sound and every time something happens on screen uh, unless it's a, a accompanied by a sound cue it is if is if that it's the first time that's ever happened ever and so somebody walks in frame or a camera transitions to somebody standing behind somebody else it's like this is the freakiest thing that i've ever seen i am and that's why i can't watch the movie because this (laughs) thing's happening i i I did a simply because people are colorblind they're not the same as people being deaf but also, people being film snobs is not the same thing as people being deaf. <laughs> so I took a film course that wasn't horror films. And one of my professors said, go ahead and change the movie to black and white and see what happens. And so I did that for like a month. I just I, I just binged a whole bunch of Netflix stuff with the saturation with, on with zero. Uh, black and white. Mm-hmm. And it made some shows that I thought would be good bad. And it made some shows that were bad, like incredibly, like really good. Mm-hmm. Because you're kind of like, oh, I see. That's where you know. That's where the eye was supposed to look. Or yeah, messing, quote unquote, messing, adjusting those things really do matter for film, like color, light and sound. I mean, that's why cinematographers get should get paid the biggest bucks, in my opinion. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Uh, I mean, would you say this is kind of like uh, like a conversation with like. Uh, um, a death of the author type situation where the person that made it is it's supposed to be looked at like in a certain way but you go ahead and change it you you flip the point of view or you put different inflection that to turn it into a different thing and it's just as valid as what, what they wanted you to say i don't know is adjusting it yourself fan fiction is a Okay, one more step. Is adju- so is adjusting it yourself making it a new thing? It, but, is fan, is, but then therefore isn't like the fan fiction people write on the internet. I kind of feel thing. like you just want fan fiction people to be truly valid. No, no, no. Which it's is not... fine. They should be. Like they're all writers and stuff. Like they're consuming it and making it. Well, this is kind of the nice thing about fan culture is like at what point is creating a new thing and what point is it? It can be both too. You know, you're right. I mean, it's it's all just kind of one big sandbox, right? Mm-hmm. Or like, I get why. And as soon as I say, you get why I forget her name. Anne Rice. Yeah, Anne Rice. Why Anne Rice was so against fan fiction? Because you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people aren't very good writers. Flat out, a lot of people aren't very good writers. Yeah. Um, Sometimes the, Anne Rice isn't very good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anne, Sorry, Anne, Anne Rice. Anne, Anne Rice. <laughs> shout out to Anne Rice. Uh, we love you. Yeah, we love you. You did a lot of stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm the the idea of like making fan fiction or see okay 
I don't really have a fan fiction tangent. I just kind of want to go back to the fact that we view a lot of fan culture and that a lot of fan culture um, just does not play nice with each other. It's a strange thing. And, and so there's so many things that exist within a fan. And so I think you to- told me that there is fanon, which is fan canon. Mm-hmm. that exists that people adhere to that yeah, have rules definitely. that nobody really knows where they came from and it had to come from somewhere but no like i don't know if anyone could tell you where that fanon sort of comes from i just yeah <laughs> like there are um uh, a friend of mine reads a lot of the last not the last jedi but it's like star wars fan fiction particularly of like the and they tell me uh which is not really like specific to, but like you know what a coffee shop AU is, right? Oh, definitely. Right. So you know, there's a coffee shop AU of like Kylo and Ray doing Kylo and Ray stuff. But there's the uh, well, I forgot what I was talking about again. No, but fan fiction. But that's like a trope within fan fiction as well, like the coffee shop, the blanket fic. I think is another one where like two characters have to camp out and share uh, a blanket yeah no so i don't read a, i used to read a lot of fanfic I, I, just, I used to read a lot of i'm a boy who came <laughs> of age in the 90s and early 2000s <laughs> get off my case but i used to i used to read a lot of dragon ball z fiction and oh, who was your uh favorite pairing my favorite pairing or was it just more for Star? Well, yeah, some uh, some of them were because so you know the, the American showing on Toonami of Dragon Ball mm-hmm. Z was you know they get to Namek or whatever saga and they would just replay it over and yeah over, over again. and over again. So those were the dark days where yeah. <laughs> and so there there's so much of 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 what what I wanted back then was I'm sorry I'm not so entertaining K playing video games on her phone I thought I was cool. No, it's a yeah. You're not playing games. I'm, I am. I'm hurt. He's both lying. Right now. She. She says, "Hey, Ron, let's make this podcast. It'll be really good, and we'll get to hang poker I, on the phone." I had to. Not take, even a I good had, game, but like poker, like casino games. <laughs> it was not. I had to poke a thing on my phone. Anyway. Anyway, <laughs> so I, uh, boy of the nineties, old millennial, whatever, and so a lot of the stuff that I read was pretty much like, I need this action fix. Mm-hmm. I need to know how much stronger everybody gets. And so a lot of them were Gohan does this, gets extra <laughs> training and becomes even stronger. <laughs> Goku and Vegeta do this and gain a lot of strength and get even stronger. <laughs> Sorry. Oh no, Raditz comes back and it's it's him and Master Roshi and they hang out and play pinball and then something happens and then they get even stronger. It's that's a lot of what it was, but another a thing that I did fall into was this uh, series that I read for years, and it was called like a I don't remember what the name of it was. <laughs> Can't ever look it Can't up. Can't go and look it up because um, I, you know, I would, absolutely. I would go and look the, it up right after this, end, this but it, uh, podcast. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I'm I don't know if it. I don't know if it holds up. That's a, such a dumb thing to say about fan fiction from 1999. <laughs> I have gone back and reread some fan fiction from way back in the day, though. Oh, and it's just as good as when you read it the first time? Well, there are a couple of ones that I'm like, you know, I just really want to read that again. And I have. And 
in some cases the writing was really good in some cases i'm like what on earth <laughs> what you know like there's some things that really surprised me with how good i'm like oh i was expecting way worse and then other stuff i'm like oh my god was i just stoned the entire time it might be like, just, like, just the, the young brain is so bad yeah so bad at some stuff sorry youths. so so like the other ones besides the the boys get together to get even stronger <laughs> was this uh was this this flip was the story of the character lady frieza and lady frieza was uh basically like like carrie mm-hmm. and Samantha from uh, Sex, and the Sex City. and the City. Just kind of living her life. Doing finding her love. Doing her own thing. Getting into trysts. Getting into arguments. And I'm like, this is fantastic. <laughs> I, I need more of this. And like, and I, I, I kind of, it's weird that that didn't translate into like, Ron, have you thought about picking up a fucking book? <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't. Because I'm sure that there's a whole lot of women living their lives in a city well i we've had conversations about this before and i i probably mentioned on our our previous con podcast but one of my favorite things in the world is characters in especially superheroes and supernatural peoples um and media doing normal people things right so the whole superheroes go to the grocery store they meet up for coffee like we're gonna have a day at the beach like those are some of my favorite things and it it, it comes up most often in fan fiction i think so i i'm totally on the same wavelength uh, as far as the lady frieza sort of sex in the city edition uh you know i mean i think i think you're all right i think that's why x-men is so popular because there's a whole bunch of generic but the fact that 90% of any particular book is them just kind of hanging, hanging out, out and getting coffee. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think that that cat, there's a cat, the cat, Butterscotch, right? Yeah, Butterscotch. So, butters, Butterscotch, uh, Kate is letting the cat out of our recording studio right now. The cat literally said hello. It is, uh, it's the wildest thing ever. Uh, like, it, it, you, I mean, you see, you see videos on, on YouTube of, Dog I'm says back. I love you. Um, <laughs> cat says watch out, or you know, monkeys in zoo flip off audience. But I don't think I've ever in my life, like in in real life, heard a cat say hello. I lit like I almost paused this podcast to go answer the door, but it was a cat. Yeah, it was just a cat. Um. So anyway, uh, I'm back now from outer space. From outer space. <laughs> yep. And now, see, what I was most embarrassingly in as far as fan fiction goes, I was really into crossover fan fiction as a young adult. Oh, no, me too. Yeah. Because, like, you know, your favorite characters from one thing with your favorite characters from another thing. Totally, right? Can I, can I tell you what my favorite... Cro- I mean, first off, the crossover that I'm about to say involves Dragon Ball. Oh, of course. <laughs> Dragon um, Ball. But 